Hello, and welcome to the Cocktails and Conversation podcast. I'm Dana Marie Rockmore, the founder of the Dinner Party Project and co-founder of The Welcome House. I'll be inviting intriguing guests over to my home to chat about some of my favorite things, cocktails, story, the Enneagram, and rest. Hello, friends. Um, thank you for continuing to listen in. If you've listened to two Cocktails and Conversation thus far, we are now at our 50th podcast episode, which is so fun. It's been a couple of years, and I have been so honored by all the folks that have um, given me their time and their story, um, shared some drinks with me, some laughs, all the things. Um, so today, I uh, was really uh, thrilled to be able to have our very own mayor, Buddy Dyer, on for our 50th podcast, which is uh, pretty fun. The mayor has been mayor for in his 19th year, which is pretty amazing. Almost all the years that I have lived in Orlando, Florida, and so many things have happened in these years. I mean, so I mean, so many things from the food and the drink scene exploding to, of course, Pulse, which was a heartbreak, um, continues to be um, a reminder of the preciousness of life to the opening of, yeah, world-class art venues to stadiums, um, to bring a soccer club here, which has been so fun for the city. Um, but I would admit that, I mean, I've known of course of the things that he's done in the city, but I would not have known so many things about his life, like his first job and the reason that he kind of became mayor very rapidly, um, his favorite pastimes, all things. So I hope that you will enjoy this chat that I was able to have, um, and we find out his real name. So... Uh, stay, stay tuned for that. And then for the drink today, it wasn't quite a cocktail, but his go-to drink is, um, vodka. So of course we did some Tito's vodka, club soda and lime, which as we are, as we, I speak for myself, um, are getting older, sometimes, uh, less calories in a, in a drink is of very much importance. So a clear spirit is always usually a good way to ingest the least amount of calories while drinking. So that is what the mayor had. Um, and we had a really great, really great time. So I hope you enjoy this guest and make a really simple drink while you're listening. Cheers. So as you may know, or may not know at all, cocktails are kind of my thing. At the end of a long day, or any day really, crafting a drink, whether it's simple or more complex, I really look forward to a delicious cocktail. Plus it makes all conversations better. Tito's Handmade Vodka is always a go-to for me. It's the perfect thing to have on hand to make just about any cocktail. That is what I love about Tito's. It's so versatile. Anything from a Moscow mule to an elderflower martini to a white Russian. Plus, Tito's Handmade Vodka has won a million awards, but for real. It's been distilled six times and won the SF World Spirit Championship. So the next time you are looking for an incredibly drinkable cocktail, pick up some Tito's Handmade Vodka. Plus, you should head over to titosvodka.com to read up more about their story and pick up some delightful recipes. 
Hello, Mayor Buddy Dyer. Thanks for being on my podcast. Oh, it's my pleasure. Yes. And I understand it's your 50th. So my 50th. I am so honored to be your number 50. Of course. Well, cheers. We can cheers reach to you. Woo. Big table. Woo. Yes. Um, cheers to you. So... I, I usually will, uh, this cocktails and conversation is usually kind of cocktail centric, which I know your go-to drink is vodka soda, vodka soda, or vodka Topa Chico now, which is a oh, Mexican club soda. Sure. My wife is from Texas and she claims she was the one that brought Topo Chico to oh. Orlando, which is close. <laughs> she introduced That's me to it right. in any event. So yes. um, it's vodka Topo Chico and short of that, then it's vodka club soda with twist of lime. All right. Fair enough. Yeah. So we did a Tito's vodka, some club soda and lime for you today. So I will tell so. you that for the vast majority of my life, I was a brown liquor drinker. So okay. a gentleman Jack Fair enough. bourbon drinker and okay. a heavy red wine. So cabs and Zinfandels. And when I got a little older and realized um, drinking that stuff made it harder to get up in the morning and work out, Fair I enough. switched over to... Vodka and a little bit of stuff. white wine and okay. things are a lot So better. those would be your, now would be your go-to drinks. Yes. Would be vodka soda. Vodka. I consider them a little healthier. Fair enough. Fair enough. Yeah. My favorite drink still to this day is probably a whiskey sour. Okay. I really love bourbon a lot. I'm not as much like a rye or a scotch, but I really do love the brown spirits. And it's fun doing dinner parties and often doing like a brown spirit and kind of introducing sometimes often ladies to a whiskey drink. And they're like, oh, I didn't know that I was going to like that. Yeah, but this then, is good. But then they but then they do. So I, say, yeah. I was uh, in South Dakota recently uh, hunting pheasant with a large group of guys. And one of them was inclined to have a sample one of his favorite drinks, okay. which was Crown Royal Appletini. <laughs> And I said, um, um, I probably haven't, number one, ever had that. But if I did, it would have been trying to entice a high school date for <laughs> But we all tried it. Okay. You, you, uh, you, uh, what is the word I'm looking for? You, you humored him. Yes, we yes, did. Yes, you did. Are you much of a home bartender? Like after a day of, uh, being the mayor, do you, do you like to enjoy Making something for yourself? Or? I do, but I'm pretty simple on the drinks, not the fancy type of thing. Sure. So I can make a pretty good margarita. Okay. Um, and certainly anybody can make a pretty good vodka and club soda. Yeah, just that's depending hard how to, strong you want it. Right. That's hard to, to mix up, mess up. Yeah. So at, at bars or places that know us, we generally say a buddy pour versus a Susie pour. So a buddy pour would be a little more heavy on the vodka okay. and a Susie pour would be a little lighter on the vodka. Fair enough. Fair enough. Speaking of places around town, obviously you have been around here in this town for quite a while, but could you give us maybe two to three, uh, do you have any favorite spots to go grab a drink or a meal well, with a friend? Well, if I'm doing a business meeting, I'm usually walking from City Hall, mm -hmm. so the Boheme or Cress okay. is an obvious choice in that regard. Um, Wendy Connor is a good friend of mine, so the Abbey yes. is always uh, an event place. That, yep. And now the 808. Um, 
I keep on hearing about this, but I have not been yet. So but it is the 808 what? is at 808 East Church Street. Okay. And 808 happens to be the zip code for Hawaii. So it is a okay. Hawaiian themed restaurant. There you go. So. And is it by the Abbey? No, it's no. on Church Street. It's on Church Street. Yeah, sorry. Okay, got it's it. It's where Dexter's used to be. Got it. All right. And they That's why I've heard of it. Pretty authentic Hawaiian fare. Okay. So like they, poke? Like poke Ish. and like spam. Okay. Dishes. Sure. Yep. Okay. I have not yet tried that, but. <laughs> <laughs> well, everybody had spam growing up. They just haven't had it in a long time. Yeah. Thankfully, I did not grow up on spam. But um, I mean, I guess you could make something delicious out of anything so i've heard people have done that with spam who knows well just but add cheese and butter and <laughs> right you if you add butter to most anything you're gonna come up with something delicious that's exactly right that is exactly right cool so now we have 808 church street and then we have 1010 church street a lot of great things right downtown which are pretty amazing the imperial would be another mm. washburns mm -hmm. so i like going there um and then a wide variety. I hate, hate to name a whole bunch and leave somebody out. So sure. I'll go with those. Those are some good ones. I think one of the beautiful things about Orlando is just like how the food and drink scene has just exploded in the past many years. But yeah, just like there's the just about every type of ethnic fare that you could want. And yeah. um, you can certainly sample and be introduced to a variety of food. I grew up on Southern food. So okay. It was, let me, I grew up in Kissimmee, so let me think in terms of variety. The Chens lived there and had a Chinese restaurant. And beyond that, it was barbecue and burgers, and we did have a pizza place. Fair enough. All right. Um, so the reason that I started this podcast and part of the reason I do the Dinner Party Project is because... I think Orlando has some of the most talented, generous, creative, innovative people around. And I love sharing stories. Um, and we do that uh, around the dinner table, which is the reason why I do it. And then I just wanted to share people's stories in Orlando, people that are doing like interesting and creative things. And um, so I kind of believe that we are kind of put on in this universe and we don't get really get to choose where we're just placed down in the world. And then we're all trying to figure it out from there. But I would love to hear a little bit more about your story and a little bit about where you were put in the universe and, and what you're kind of like, uh, you know, where you grew up and what your kind of like family was and sibling dynamics and sure. what was kind of the, the early years of Okay. And I do agree with you that we have so many talented people and people are attracted to either stay in Orlando or to come to Orlando for a variety of opportunities and either education or artistic or work or just quality okay. of life. Yeah. And I'm happy that you included me in the 50 of those you've interviewed so oh, far. Of course. So um, oftentimes when I give speeches, I'll ask how many of you were born here? And, you know, if there's a crowd of 100, maybe three hands go up. But sure. my hand is one of those that go up. So I was born right down the street in Orange Memorial Hospital, but largely because they didn't have a hospital that you could be birthed in in Kissimmee. 
in the late 50s. So you were born at home with a midwife or you came up to the big city of Orlando and my mother and father chose to have me um, come into the world in a hospital versus at home. Okay. And I uh, then grew up in Kissimmee. My dad was a cattle trucker. My mom uh, worked at a variety of jobs. She worked for Tupperware and Vanda, uh, whose world headquarters are there in Kissimmee. Mm-hmm. Worked at Disney prior to it opening in their accounting department. So we Your got mom to, did? My mom did. Really? So I got to do all the soft opening family night things uh, prior to the grand As opening. As it literally was opening. As it was opening. 50 years ago. Yeah. I remember yeah. going to the preview center when it was... Way out in the woods, which is now where Buena Vista is, that little, if you're going in the front of Buena Vista, okay. on the right, right-hand side, there's a one-story smaller building that was the original preview center for Walt Disney World. And largely, the preview was about Epcot, the experimental prototype city of tomorrow, sure. rather than about um, the Magic, Magic Kingdom, Kingdom or some of the other stuff. Right. Um, so, she then started a Westernware store. Uh, when I graduated from the year I graduated from high school, she started a Westernware store called the Mod Cowboy. Okay. So it was the 70s, and the idea was <laughs> to be the modern cowboy, but mod was a word back then. So sure. she was the Mod Cowboy, and she ran that for about 20 years till she retired. So was Kissimmee like pretty rural? Uh, Pre Disney, it yeah. was very Just... rural. More cows in the county than people. Okay. It was a really a cow town. So you were either a um, surfer boy or a cowboy for the large part growing yeah. up. And my family all did rodeo. My mother and father actually met at a dude ranch in New York and um, eloped oh. against the wishes of my mother's parents. Okay. <laughs> and uh, Scandal. Came, came down to Florida. My dad was... Uh, I guess I'm third generation Floridian, so he'd have been second generation Floridian. Okay. And I grew up in Kissimmee. We had um, integration when I was in fourth grade. And, oh, wow. Uh, go, or between fourth and fifth grade. And we never had any racial issues um, at all while I was in school. And you know how diverse Osceola County is now. I knew one Hispanic kid growing up, one. I was going to ask if back in the day it was much diversity. No, in your you were either African-American or white, and then you were either a surfer boy or a cowboy. Sure. And that was pretty much the diversity. Right. So I played sports growing up my whole life. Um, right. I was uh, captain of the baseball team in high school and MVP of the football team and president of the key club. And um, one of the cool things about the athletes at Osceola High School, we had this fabulous drama teacher named Betty Kirk, and she attracted everybody to drama. So I actually won some drama awards, which no one believed that, right? <laughs> oh my God. Best lesbian. Right. Okay. I went, we went to state. In, we never went to state in football or baseball, but we went to state in one act play competition. Okay. Which was pretty cool. And we would go and, you know, everybody else was what you would think of. And we had five football players and three cheerleaders were our team. So it's kind of a little different experience in high school. Um, I ought to tell you about my first job. So my dad was a cattle trucker. Okay. So long haul cattle trucker. That means he would take calves from Florida 
we have the lar largest calving uh, state in the country. So we grow more calves here than anywhere else. Still? Still. Oh, um, right. And they're taken west to the feedlots in Texas or Oklahoma. So largely for his career, that's what he did. So when you bring a cattle truck back from carrying calves or cows to mm -hmm. Texas, of course, there's a lot of manure in the truck and somebody has to clean that sure. out at the end of the day. Uh -huh. So that was my first job in life was shoveling oh. or cleaning manure out of a cattle truck. I got $2.50 per deck okay. to do that. And my standard campaign joke is always it prepared me well in life for a career in politics and right. you know, you're still shoveling manure. It's just a little bit deeper than it was in Kissimmee. <laughs> All right. That is something I guess I would have never known. Yeah. But that's very interesting. So um, I graduated. I had the, I graduated from high school and I wanted to go to an Ivy League school, although nobody in my family had been to college. Okay. So did you have any siblings? I did. Family? I have a younger brother who is um, three and a half, four years. Young. He was four grades younger than me, three and okay. a half years younger. Um, and I was a black sheep in the family because he did rodeo and I did uh, baseball and football. So we didn't. We had to balance it out. Yeah. You weren't competing was, with each other. No. No. That, that's for sure. Right. And we actually were never really in, in school together because I was out of high school before he was a freshman four because we were separated. four grades yeah. apart. Got it. He lives in New Jersey now and still rodeos as a team roper. Howard. And both his kids rodeoed. Wow. That's cool. Yeah. My um, dad was born in College Park off of Lake Adair. Um, so he's got probably about 25 years on you, 20 something. But anyway, but he uh, would tell us that he would ride his horse up and down Colonial when it was just like a two way dirt road. Um, which is just seems so beyond foreign to me. Well, to have the, horses that close in Orlando and then to be able to ride them around town. There were laws on the books about not tying your horse to um, any of the columns on things holding up awnings and stuff. And I remember reading in a history book about uh, when they passed that law, the mayor got the first violation. <laughs> Fair enough. So you wanted to go to an Ivy League school. I did. So I always wore a Harvard shirt around and assumed that's where I would want to go. Okay. And when and I... And you had gone to high school in Kissimmee. In Kissimmee. Right. Okay. So uh, the our quarterback on our football team went to Princeton the year before I did. And so I couldn't go to Princeton because I couldn't go... Or he went. And I didn't understand uh -huh. at the time that you sh should probably apply to two or three or four because you might get into some and not get into others. Mm -hmm. So I kind of just ranked my schools in categories. So I ended up applying to Brown, which was the hot Ivy League school at the time. And then Georgia Tech and Florida and Clemson and Lehigh. And I was fortunate to get into all of them. And Brown at the time, two of the years I was there, was the most expensive school in the country. And you figured out more than out Harvard, more than anybody, any anybody. And you probably figured out from my story so far that we didn't have the means to pay for the most expensive school in the country. Sure. But Brown had a policy that if you could get in, they would make it financially feasible for you to go. They would look at your parents' income and say, 
here's what you have to pay. Here's Whoa. grants, here's scholarships, here's work opportunity. Mm-hmm. So I went to Brown, like I said, to the years, the highest and got out with $4,500 worth of debt in total at 3% interest. So very fortunate. And uh, when I grew up, you're a little younger than I am. We still had only ABC, NBC, and CBS mm-hmm. largely. Maybe we had PBS too, but you know, the world was not open to you like it is today with all the resources that kids have. So when I went to Brown, it was a very eye-opening experience. Um, There were kids, they liked to talk about the fact that they had kids from every state and some, you know, 20 to 50 countries all going to Brown. And it wasn't one of the bigger schools that only had 4,500 undergrads. But I met incredible people. Um, John John Kennedy was on a rugby team. Brian Moynihan, who's president of Bank of America now, is on our rugby team. I knew Joanna DuPont. I knew Vicky Cartier. Walter Cronkite's son was there. Ted Turner's son was there. So it was a very interesting yeah. place to be, especially when you're from someplace like Kissimmee. So I had a lot of growing up to sure. do there. Was it just kind of like an explosion for your mind, being able to be in such a diverse and different kind of scenario? It was, and it was a little bit scary because, um, you know, I had one teacher say, are you sure you want to go there? Do you think you can compete? And suggesting that maybe I ought to go to Florida rather than go to Brown. So when I got there, I was very determined to make sure that I did well. So I dove into the books my first semester rather than partying very much first semester. And Brown also was pretty serious about making sure that you were successful. If you got in, they wanted to make sure you were successful. They didn't want to waste their time or money. Yep. And they, um, so you didn't rush fraternities until second semester. So it gave you an opportunity to get your feet underneath you. Um, Uh So I studied engineering, which was a fairly difficult discipline, um, but did pretty well and graduated. Did you have, uh, when you kind of sound like through, you know, your schooling, you had um, a lot of active participation in a lot of things, like some leadership things it sounded like, but like, did you ever have like, oh, like, I think I'm going to end up here or like, you know, some people are like, I'm going to be a doctor or I'm going to be a basketball star. You know what I mean? Like, did you ever have any premonition of like, oh, I'd like my Well, life. I knew my athletic abilities were, so I knew that I was not going <laughs> to be a professional baseball in baseball or football or anything else. Right. I was vice captain of the rugby team. At Brown, while I was there, we won right. an Ivy League championship. Um, but I, I was more mathematically inclined than I was towards um, literature and the arts. So okay. engineering seemed like the even best. though you had had a taste of it in high school, even though so right. I thought I was going to double major. Interestingly enough, in engineering and religious studies. Okay, and I took my first religious studies class along with calculus physics mm. and engineer the introduction to engineering and you had to write a 40 page paper as part of that class and i realized i really don't need to be taking these other classes that have uh pretty tough requirements on them while i'm doing all the engineering curriculum so i decided engineering was enough for the me path I to that path. fair yeah. enough yeah so you go to brown you kind of have a world 
changing experience in in the sense of being exposed to maybe more than Kissimmee had exposed you to. And then from there, kind of like where was your journey from after college into? So I came back home and just went and started knocking on doors of engineering firms. Okay. And I got a job about a week after I got home with a company called Dawkins and Associates. And they were civil environmental engineers. Uh, They were actually the consulting engineers for the city of Orlando. As ah. it turns out, many years later. And the first project I ever well, worked on was a rehabilitation project for a uh, sanitary sewer pump station, pump station 69. Okay. And years later, one of the first things I voted on as a new mayor was a rehabilitation study to the same pump station that I had worked on as an engineer many, many years before. So I'll give you a quick fill in here. So I worked there for a year and then a friend and I had saved enough money. Oh, I knew at that point I wanted to go back to grad school and assumed I was going to law school. Okay. So we quit our jobs and traveled around the country for a couple of months and made it as far as uh, Vegas. We did everything along the way, the Grand Canyon and Mm -hmm. Carlsbad and uh, we stopped in places that we had friends scattered around, either from Brown or people that he knew and stayed with them and had a great adventure. And then uh, after so a couple of months. So this is like your mid-20s? I'd have been 22. 22. 22. Young 20s. Wow. Yeah. Right. Well, I'd been out of school for a year and worked for right. a year. And when we were coming so back, man. I stopped in Houston and stayed there for a week with friends and decided, what the heck, I'll just knock on doors here. And I got a job with a big engineering firm in Houston. And I had you know, been on track to go to law school. And I figured I, I, my parents weren't going to help me with law school. I had to pay for myself. So I needed to save up some money. And I got mm-hmm. this wild idea that, well, maybe I'll go to business school. So I went mm-hmm. to work in Houston and um, started looking at applying to all these weird places in South Africa and Switzerland and um, some places. And then one day I woke up and said, I'm going to law school. So I took the LSAT and some friends of mine that had been at Dawkins had started a new engineering company and called and said, Hey, could you come back and work with us? And we'll give you some stock in the company. And I said, yeah, that'd be great. And I realized I want to go to Florida law school. So I better get back and make sure I have my residency right. So I get residency uh, in-state yeah. tuition. Right. So I came back and worked for that company uh, for a year. And make a long story short, I ended up with one of their clients as the project manager for all environmental products for a mining company in Ocala. And I applied to law school. Well, and I, another thing is I went from making $20,000 a year to making about $40,000 a year All right. because I was doing sales and mm-hmm. all of a sudden I was making more money than I you know, could ever conceive I could make right. as an engineer. So I applied to law school, got in and deferred because I was making so much money, applied, got in again, d- deferred to, to two Florida? times to Florida. Right. And then the third time- University I, of Florida? University of Florida. Oh, Okay. Third time I got I in, not know. I decided I better go or they might stop admitting <laughs> right. me. So Leaving I, the door open. Yeah, I had spent four years out of four years working and saved enough money to put myself through law school at Florida. Oh wow. So you paid your own way? I did. And in did part, you get some like any 
grant or spot any in any like assistance or no i took some stu- a student loan okay um i think about ten thousand dollars but i had saved up a lot of money and also i was on commission so a number of the jobs that i had sold came in over the course of the time that i was still there so i was how convenient. still making money from mid florida um at that point. So right. I go to law school. I was editor-in-chief of the Law Review. And I'm not going to brag about this. I'm just going to tell you. But I had the highest score on the bar exam when I graduated. So I had some pretty good legal credentials, mm-hmm. which, which comes up later when I lose an attorney general's race. Okay. So put it out there for that reason, not that I'm trying to Fair brag enough. about that. Um, I had clerked at some of the larger firms, Holland and Knight, Smith Curry in mm-hmm. Atlanta, and they were paying starting associate wages to summer clerks. So that was the other way I was able to pay for my law schools because I made a pretty good amount of money during mm-hmm. the summers. And I came back to Orlando to work with a small firm, Smith, McKinnon, and Matthews, and they were HBJ and SeaWorld and Cypress Gardens. Mm-hmm. attorneys and there was only eight attorneys so i thought i'm gonna get in this firm before it gets big right and be one of the partners and i got married the year after to uh karen cadill who i met in law school mm-hmm. and we um let's see nine that was 88 so we had our first son in 90 and the second one in 95 and i started working as a lawyer and i decided i had this little thing that you know, I'd been given this opportunity. I had to give back. So I decided I'd run for the for the state legislature. So I ran for the Senate in 92 when I was 32, 33, actually, um, and was fortunate to win a Senate seat. And I was the youngest state senator for um, several years okay. while I was there and spent 10 years in the that. Senate. Okay, I was a Democratic leader. For three of those years. Mm-hmm. And that was the time that the legislature transitioned from being controlled by Democrats to Republicans. So my first year in the Senate, there were 20 Democrats and 20 Republicans. We were tied. Oh, that's fun. And there were 19 freshmen out of the 40 members. So it was right. a very unique mix. Yeah. And it was probably the best that the Senate and the legislature had ever operated because you couldn't run over people. You had to. You knew going in, you had to work together to get anything done. Done. So I enjoyed my time in the Senate. and Still living in Orlando. Yeah, my Senate district is in Orlando. Okay. 75% city of Orlando. And my wife was working as a lawyer as well. And we had at that point a two-year-old. So we split it up and I would take him to Tallahassee with me one week. And then she would be home. She was traveling quite a bit. Then she would be home a week and she would have them. And so my first two years, I had a two or a three-year-old with me in Tallahassee. So it kept me pretty well grounded. And I have wonderful stories about those times, uh, different things Trey did, you know, singing from the rostrum in the Senate, um, spitting on the governor. You know, that wasn't one of the greatest stories, but still. um, So I did I enjoyed my time in in the legislature, uh, and I termed out in 2002, so 10-year term limits, and Bob Butterworth, the attorney general, also termed out. So I decided to run for attorney general, mm-hmm. and I, ran a, I won the Democratic primary and ended up facing Charlie Crist. 
so you know uh-huh. that name. Yep. For Attorney General, Bill McBride was the Democratic gubernatorial candidate, and Jeb Bush was the Republican. Mm-hmm. And our strategy or our polling showed that as long as McBride didn't lose by more than ten, we'd win the race. And we were spot on. Okay. But McBride lost by sixteen, so we lost by three. You know, the down ballot races very much influenced by that. So um, at that point, I was a retired state legislator and um, was going to go back into private practice. And uh, Bob Graham called me and he was going to run for president at the time and asked me to come to D.C. and be his general counsel. And I was supposed to start that job in January. He eventually didn't run for president because he had some heart issues, but that came a little later on. So I coached flag football for a couple of months and was waiting around to right. go to DC. And Jeb appointed Glenda Hood to be Secretary of State. So mm-hmm. there was an open seat for mayor. And there were she had already announced she wasn't going to run for re-election the next year. Okay. Anyway, so there were seven people already running for mayor. Right. So the city council decided Because she was mayor for a for a long time. She was mayor for 11 years because right. she didn't serve the last year. I ended up serving the last year of her term. Okay. So the city council um, set, this was between Christmas and New Year's, and they set the election for the third week of January. So I decided was pretty that, quickly. Yeah. And I had never thought about running for mayor of Orlando in my whole life. I'd been in the building one time, but all these people started coming to me saying, hmm. you have to run because you're the one guy that can traverse the boardroom and hmm. walk in the African-American churches on the other side because you've represented everybody for so long. And I had the name recognition advantage of having run for AG and represented the city for 10 years in the Senate. But I still was undecided about that until um, one morning. Pastor Sam Green, who was pastor of the largest AME church, called me about seven o'clock in the morning and said, we just spent the last hour praying about you and we need you to run for mayor. And that kind of pushed me over the edge and our family decided to do it. And um, plus, it was going to be a three week campaign. Right. (laughs) You're going to have to go through the the long road of. Right. Um, to 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 be elected as mayor. And the nice so thing about pretty, that pretty is that I knew nothing about local government or being mayor, right? But if you have seven other people, there's eight people in the debate, you're only going to get about two or three minutes during the course of an hour-long debate. So the primary part of it gave me a chance to do a lot of on-the-job training. So I ended up in a runoff against um, a guy named Pete Barr, and I won that pretty handily. And okay. then I had a lot of on-the-job learning to do as <laughs> right. mayor of Orlando. And then I had to run for re-election the next year. Right. Because I was serving the last year at Glenda's term. And I've been mayor for 19 years. Yes. I did the math, too. I thought it was 18, but 19. I'm in yeah. my 19th year. Right. You're in your 19th year. I have been in Orlando since 2000. So I've been here for a little over 20 years. So... Most all the years that I have been here. Well, what I pretty much marvel at right now. Yeah. If you're a high school senior, I've been your mayor your whole life. No, I was not. I am. No, not you. Oh, if if you you were are a high school senior. Right. Got it. I was like, right. 
how long? I mean, not that you would share your. I mean, but you've been you've been in this role for for a long time. Yeah, um, I really enjoyed it. It's the best thing that mm-hmm. I've ever done. And I tell I'm very active in the U.S. Conference of Mayors, and I tell my mayor friends of some of the other large cities, Boston or Pittsburgh, that you know I'm so lucky to be mayor at the time in the life of my city mm-hmm. where we're growing up and becoming what we're really going to be. If you're mayor of some of those cities that have been around for two or 300 years, you're just kind of steering and you can't make real change. But right, right here, you can see right the change that you're making right now. Absolutely. I feel like Orlando has such a potential even, you know, like as I talk to other people that own small businesses, like starting something here feels I feel so much more accessible and you have so much more access to people that are willing to help you and willing to want to see the city thrive and grow and bring innovation here and do new and interesting things than you would in like a like like a New York or an LA or Chicago or something like that and I think that's such a um a blessing for Orlando to still be kind of like versatile or like mobile in that way to be able to start up things that make the city Orlando. And there's opportunity here for Mm -hmm. anybody. You don't have to be usually second generation or third generation. I'm not sure, but you don't have to be. Anybody can pull their chair right up to the table and be part of whatever they want to be. They want to put in the work and have a passion for it. Yep. I did have a question for you. I'm curious when you, when you said like, Oh, I'm going to go into law school. Um, was there an impetus or like, was like, were you like passionate about a certain type portion of the law? Um, litigation. Okay. So that's, I ended up being a litigator, but I focused on construction related matters and environmental matters. I put my engineering, background to work in the context of the law. So right. I practiced law till I ran for mayor of Orlando. So legislature is a part-time thing. So I was balancing family, practicing law mm-hmm. and making laws. Right. Um, and your 19 years as mayor, would you share like maybe a couple, two or three of maybe like your proudest moments of being in this title, in this role? I generally say I can't pick one single thing mm-hmm. um, what I can pick is um, that we have been able to cultivate a culture of partnership and collaboration and all the big things we have done we have done because we were able to embrace diversity and the fact that we have to work together so whether that's Sunrail or the Performing Arts Center or the Amway Center or the stadium or downtown or Lake Nona mm-hmm. it's that ability to lead and bring people together. But the single thing would be, I think, leadership through Pulse Mm. and how our community responded. And at the first press conference, I gave the call that we would not be defined by the hate-filled act of one demented soul, but we'd be defined by our response. And that would be with love and compassion and Mm -hmm. unity. And I think that singularly is my most significant moment, I guess, is how okay. I would say it. Yeah. That was such a hard moment to have be our reality. But, you know, it was amazing to see the leadership be able to 
um, step up and stand up for Orlando and give give those voices the space and the honor that they needed to have and to be an example, I think, for other cities and in um, what happens in those moments of crisis. So I'm sure that was obviously all new territory for you in those moments to be able to figure out how to navigate. Absolutely. There was yeah. not a book to be pulled no. off the shelf. There is now because we've helped write one. Sure. And recommend that you write, read Crisis Management you know, 101 the first day that you're mayor because likely as not, you're going to have some form of crisis that you're going to have to deal with. And in large part, it's about communication. At least the role of the mayor in large part is about Mm -hmm. communication. Yeah, absolutely. Do you remember like that first moment when you got the call and probably in the middle of the night? Oh, I remember every bit of it. Sure. So uh, I got a call around three o'clock from Deputy Chief Bobby Enzuedo. And he said, Mayor, I, I hate to inform you, but we've had a shooting at the Pulse nightclub. There are multiple casualties, and it's turned into a hostage situation. Dave is on his way to pick you up. Dave is my security and driver and police liaison. The mobile command center is Mm -hmm. such and such place on Orange Avenue. So um, I put down the phone, and then I immediately picked it back up and called my son, Trey, who would have been 26, I guess, at that point. And I don't know that he'd ever been to Pulse, but it was the type of club that he could have been to Pulse. And just in the wild Mm -hmm. chance, I want to make sure he was Mm. home. And uh, fortunately he had his phone charged up, which is not always the case with young people. Mm -hmm. I can't figure out how they go to bed and don't plug their phones in, but they do. But he picked up. So it gave me the relief that I could go do what I needed to do, knowing that he was home safe in bed. Second call was to Heather, uh, who is our communications director at the time, now my chief of staff, because I knew our job would be communications, and she need, was the most important for, person for me to have. Mm-hmm. We went to the command center, and we talked about what my role would be on the way there, um, and that it would be to uh, support the chief, not undermine his command in any way, and stay out of the way, and to gather as much information as we could during the course of the night, because... Mm-hmm. We knew that we would be the ones that needed to communicate to the public at the appropriate time. Sure. So when we got there, there were three sheriffs, police chief, a couple deputy chiefs, FBI, FDLE, all in the command center. And I got updated on everything that had transpired to that point. Mm-hmm. And then we're there through the course of the evening to the point where the vast majority of the uh, people that were still inside had been rescued and uh, eventually you know we shot and killed the the bad guy and we couldn't immediately come out and do any press conference because he had indicated he had explosives and that had been verified verbally by some of the people that were still hostage in the bathroom they'd overheard him it turned out he didn't have explosives but we didn't know that so we didn't want to come out and have that first press conference and then have an explosion in the background or whatever. Right. And also at that point, the FBI declared it to be an act of terrorism and they took control from OPD as the lead. So we had to have some discussions with them about how the communication would go because they thought they should be in charge. Sure. And we thought we should be in charge. And ultimately they deferred to us, which I think was an important point mm-hmm. on that day that 
the residents of Orlando hear from their mayor, not from a very capable FBI agent, but somebody they didn't know. Right. Coming from your own like hometown leadership, right? And somebody that you trust and somebody that you know. Right. Sure. Thank you for stepping into those moments with grace and compassion and leadership. I'm sure that was a very exhausting time, heartbreaking and heartwarming and, you know, it was a lot for the whole community. Well, the community rallied but and the, the world did as well. You were at the helm. Yeah. Uh, I went to a U.S. Conference of Mayors meeting two weeks later and I, I was on a program. It was me, Madonna, Gandhi, and Hillary Clinton were the four speakers. Right. So I'll never, I have that framed in my office, the Indiana, Indianapolis Star with our four pictures on it because I'll never be on a, a dais, you know, that yeah. sort of again. But every mayor in there came up to show me a screenshot of their city in some way paying tribute to yeah, Paltz with a rainbow. Sure. And, you know, you saw images of the Eiffel Tower and the yeah. bridges in London. So, Everywhere. you know, the world came to love and support us. Yeah. On a little bit more of a, uh, a happy note, I just wanted to touch real quick because obviously you were here during the time of like the Amway Arena and Exploria, St Exploria Stadium happening and like how like fun was it to like be able to open those like venues for Orlando? Well, so many of the things we have done, we worked on for a really long time. So sure. I campaigned in 2003 on building a performing arts center. Okay. And this is 2021 mm -hmm. and Steinmetz, which is the third hall will open in 2022. So I've been working on that for 20 years. Yeah. Right at 20 years. And people were working on that prior to me. So there is great satisfaction in being able to open some of these great venues. Yeah. And the other thing I would say that's different from when I started, the publisher of the newspaper came to me when I first became mayor and said, you know, I think Orlando has an inferiority complex. We sometimes settle for, we don't have to be the best. And she came back a few years later and said, you know, you've changed the whole thing. We're world-class and everything we do is world-class and we can be the best at whatever we want to be. Hmm. And I think that's the attitude here in Orlando now. Yeah. So the final question for you, and then I'll let you go. Um, but one thing that I'm very passionate about is rest and um, how we kind of step back from the world and how we can renew, play, discover, physically rest. Um, what are some things in your practice that you, that kind of like rejuvenate you? When you're off the clock. So walking my dog, Sammy. Okay. And you've probably seen her around. Of She's a, at City Hall quite a bit. Mm -hmm. So that is uh, my favorite little pastime. Used to be when the kids were younger, it was driving the boat and pulling them around on the lake or coaching their football teams were <laughs> definitely our baseball teams were definitely right. the way. I got away from it all because if you're coaching nine-year-olds, you have to be <laughs> there. Very you have present. to be present sure. to keep their attention. So Fair that enough. was, but now the kids are all grown up. So I would say naps. Yes, <laughs> absolutely. Um, you know, naps are lost on babies and young people. They're mm -hmm. certainly underrated then and not overrated now. Um, I like to hunt and fish. Okay. So I just came back from a, uh, pheasant hunting um, trip in South Dakota. Right. And I gator hunt. I gator hunted last night. Um, got a couple of big ones. Okay. So that would be. Where does that occur? It, just about any water in Florida. Okay. 
but we were down in Kissimmee on Lake Toho. Okay. And then that never crosses I my, love my mind. Sports and college football is probably my passion. All right. So being, you know, now is my favorite time of year. You got the World Series going on. You got great games in college football. The NBA is starting up. NHL has just started up. So I love the fall part of the year. Are you a Are you a Gators fan? Ardent Gator fan. Okay. And Knights. <laughs> right. And Knights. And yeah, Knights. UCF. Absolutely. Yeah. My brother went to UCF, so I hear a lot about, or my, well, actually a brother, one brother, I have four brothers. One went to UCF and one went to UF. So, but they sometimes, uh, the one that went to UF talks about football sometimes, which is totally out of my world, but that makes a lot of sense. Um, but thank you so much for my pleasure. This was fun. Thank you. Yeah. I learned so much more about you and I'm excited to like share these stories. And, um, I just, we have so many incredible folks and sometimes we don't know how they got to the places that they, right. Like you didn't start out, like I'm going to be mayor. Like it, that was a journey that took you. And we forgot there. one really important thing. Some people don't sure. know. What's that? Do you know what my name is? <clears throat> I was I wasn't sure if that was something I was able to ask or yeah. not or whatever, but well, I wasn't born, buddy. Right, I figured as much, but I was born John Hugh Dyer Jr. Okay, and my dad's nickname was Butch, and my mother did not want me being Little Butch, so <laughs> I was enough. Buddy. All right, and now we have John Hugh Dyer the third, and he's John, Trey. John Hugh Dyer, the second is you, and then the third is your son. Right. Okay, John Hugh Dyer. Good to know. If people want to know what you're up to and what, like, follow the things that the city of Orlando is doing, how should people find you on the interwebs? Social so media? I, I have a city Facebook page. I'm on okay. Twitter. Um, you can go to uh, Orlando.gov for anything related to the city. And you can find me pretty easily by putting my name in in social media. Yeah. Beautiful. Well, thank you. Until next Thank time. Thank you. I enjoyed it. Yeah. Likewise. Thank you a million times over for listening to Cocktails and Conversation podcast. I hope you have enjoyed all of it. If you have, would you do me a huge favor and rate, comment, and subscribe for more Cocktails and Conversation? 